Tonight, uh, I'm not going to preach, but I never know the difference. <laughs> so if I say I'm just going to teach, that gives me liberty to do everything. And uh, uh, we hope to do some Q&A. If you uh, are willing to interact, feel free. If there's something you don't understand, uh, feel free to weigh in for a question and answer. Uh, because uh, I just uh, had a uh, all series of events in the last uh, few weeks, and uh, uh, one of the things that uh, I was really made alert uh, when someone insinuated that uh, we have a shame culture that, uh, uh, and told one of our uh, members they need to go to another church and get out of a shame culture. And uh, besides wanting to sin, as I hit her, uh, <laughs> I, I'm telling you it was sin. Uh, but I didn't hit her. I, I just I'm feeling it. Uh, I, I just thought through uh, what kind of culture should we be? What kind of culture are we? And uh, I'd wanted to preach on the cross or the gospel in our uh, healthy church series, but uh, it, it was coming to a close today. And then when uh, Leo just bailed out and uh, was so unfaithful, you know, when I when he kept, stayed on his calendar, and I, I I've lost my glasses. I've got a pair of glasses, five hundred dollar pair. If you can see them in there somewhere, I've lost my keys. Uh, when my girls were getting married, I lost everything, including all my money. <laughs> so I'm in one of those. So I had dates all mixed up. I thought we'd baptize you tonight, and the only thing was I need to take a shower. So, <laughs> I mean, so, so confused. Uh, so I'm just, these are just scribble notes. And thank you, Debbie. Uh, Debbie McMillan came down here today and put these notes together for me because I wasn't ready. And uh, thanks, Debbie. Uh, and so, uh, uh, let's, uh, if I, 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 I hate to insult so many of you because this stuff is like falling off a log, but what we've got to remember is our church, as new people come in, as they go, as people are assimilated in this church, uh, would you not think that gospel is the thing that would be the most prominent thing they hear. Unless we're a synagogue. If we're a synagogue, let's kiss the Torah. And they kiss the Torah every Sabbat. I've seen them do it. Every Sabbat, they pull out the big Torah in the synagogue, as I've been at Jews for Jesus meeting, and you kiss the law, and you carry it around the auditorium, and you pay a kind of obeisance to the law. Uh, we don't kiss the Torah around here. Uh, we don't even kiss good works. Uh, there's a lot of things. So we've got verses like Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Gospel, simply good news. For years, people have said, well, the gospel, Jesus died for our sins, buried, rose again. That is not the gospel. That is only the facts on which it's built. It's the historical facts of the gospel. But you still haven't unpackaged what is the good news. And I taught all my kids, because they went to Bethel, Jesus died, buried, rose again. You know the gospel. Well, you can know that formula and those facts. Even unsaved men can quote those facts. That doesn't mean they know the gospel. Those are just historical facts. You can believe them or not. But what, what came out of that historical occasion of going to the cross, dying, and three days later being raised from the dead? Then, along with this, as early as 50 A.D., turn with me to Galatians. 50 A.D., Galatians, chapter 1. Let me read to you, verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. These are obviously Paul's converts he's talking to. They profess faith under his ministry, but words got back to him that they're deserting the message that he originally gave them 
and they're going for another gospel, and in Greek it's heteros, uh, heterodoxy, another of a different kind of gospel, uh, which is really not another of the same kind. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Now, let me tell you of uh, potentially three kinds of people who are primarily here on Sunday morning. Uh, religious people that may be saved or not, but they, if they're religious as a whole, anyone that would go to synagogue, uh, mass, church meeting, they do that consistently and they've not believed the gospel, they have a religion that says by doing good things, you can win the favor of God. And going to church is a good thing. And just keep doing good things, and you can win merit. You can win merit. This is a good Catholic churchman, huh? Party all night, Saturday night. Get blasted over New Year's and everything but show up for Mass and get a blessing because it, it wins merit. There's merit in it, right? How many former Catholics? Did I lie? Is that true? Or There's nobody that goes to Mass that boogied all night Saturday, slept with whoever, did all kinds of sin, but I got to make it to Mass. Why do you have to make it to Mass? Yeah, it's meritorious. And we've got people that sit here on Sunday mornings that are in the same mindset. I can merit the favor of God if I show up and do a few things, maybe even drop a little change in the offering. And they're sincere, and they think this is going to be enough. So they're in church. So we have an evangelistic field in most of our churches, that there's religious people among us uh, that think they're saved that aren't. Then we've got among us uh, unbelievers that don't believe there's any right or wrong, necessarily. Uh, they're just looking it over, kind of like the music sometimes. Uh, they've been invited by a friend. They're just looking, uh, looking for hope, going through a divorce. You know, different places in life. We're glad to have them, and, but don't believe that they're trying to win any favor. They're doing as they please. They, they're just here. And they may not come back again, but they're here. And then uh, you hope there's some gospel people there. And what would gospel people look like? I make some bulletproof here, points. Gospel people are people that say this. A right standing with God is based upon the work of Jesus Christ for us that my whole status with God is solely resting on what another has done for me. Kind of simple, isn't it? Some of you are already yawning. A right standing with God is received by faith alone. Not me doing anything, it's me receiving by faith. I believe the offer is the truth, legitimate, that God has made another take my place, pay the penalty for my crime, and has offered me a free gift. All I've got to do is, that's all I have to do to receive it, to keep it, is just believe. I'm a believer. I didn't believe once for all. I'm believing for the rest of my life. I, I've become a believer. Is a present tense as much as an act. So, a right standing with God is received by grace and not law. And this is the book of Galatians that they kept putting them under uh, the law. Oh, look at some verses here. This, this book, they say Romans came from Paul's head. This came from his heart, Galatians. In 
uh, Romans, he is logical. In Galatians, he is on fire. Because his converts are being taken back to Judaism, being taken back to law works, being told the gospel is not enough. You've got to do something besides Christ. It's not enough. And so you go back, verse 15, 215. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified, made acceptable, declared right by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified. To give you a word, accept it may help you, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Nobody has ever been made right with God by religious works. I don't care, even if they were from the Decalogue, memorized the Ten Commandments, memorized all the five books of Moses as the rabbis do. Do it until you're blue in the face. You'll never go to heaven keeping the law. No one's ever kept it. And why waste all your time trying to think you can keep it? You can't. Uh, and then a right standing with God is based on no merit of your own. It's a grace gift. You just receive it. And, and you have no merit. And, and here's something you need to get in your mind. You don't start with any merit and you die and go to heaven without any of your own. You never bring anything to it that looks like merit. All you do is bring the problem. You bring the sin. You bring uh, the bondage. And, and all the merit is wrapped up in another. You never have to seek to get merit. You never have a standing because you have personal merit. You never start it with it. It is the merit of another put to your credit by faith, but it's not your merit. It's the merit of another because your merit stinks in the sight of God. The best you can do is a thousand miles. That's not a terrible illustration. What your best compared to who God is can't even be compared. It's just infinite, the distance. So God said, don't mess up my salvation by trying to drag in your merit. It stinks. The best you can do. Well, then you ought to be saying, well, man, that doesn't sound like I add much. You're getting close. Uh, it doesn't seem like, uh, wait, it sounds like it's a one-sided gift. It sounds like it's all of God. And I got to contribute something. You did the sin. You created the problem. Only he can bring the cure, and the cure is so beautiful, so complete, so over the top. It's pure through in and throughout, and that's why God can't say, I mix a little bit of your merit with a little bit of mine, and you've got Christianity. It's all my merit, and all you do is receive it. Simplistic? I know it. It's just a primer class. Um, a right standing with God is solely based upon the cross work of Jesus Christ. Okay, I got it. I believe this. Good. Let's look at Christian life. Our progress is by faith in the Spirit and never the law. Look at chapter 3. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? God is perfecting you not by law, legalism we use it, uh, a set of works, law for the Jew, uh, in church life, every church, every group developed its own legalistic list of the things you've got to do to impress God with yourself. 
That's why for years, the first 10 years, 15 years at Valley, I never would use the word tithing. Because I knew people that tithe that weren't even Christians. It was a merit system. God's obligated to bless me now. I want it to be a grace motivation that we do this out of grace and gratitude. And so I was afraid. We've really, I like first fruit giving, and we tell you start with 10%. Because the tithe system under Israel was so mandatory, demanded, of withhold rain and a, a lot of um, uh, indictments if you didn't give God. He was the landowner. If you don't give me my share of the crops, I'll withhold rain from you. Uh, pay your rent. But Christian giving is much of a much nobler motive, much greater motive than that. I'm not trying to win God's favor by my offering. If I do, I've ruined giving. It's not a gift. It's a, uh, it's a bribe. I'm bribing God to bless me. I found myself this year writing on uh, Christmas cards this. May this year you enjoy God's best, or may you have God's best. And I was writing a card, and right in the middle of that, I had to tear the card up and say, you've already got God's best. I'm not, you get God's best. I've got God's best. You mean to tell me there's something better than having a son? So I tore up the card and started all over. May you enjoy God's best as given to us in Jesus. So he says, how did you get the Spirit? By merit? By keeping things? By doing things? See, our sanctification, our progress in the Christian life is also by the Spirit, by faith. People ask me, how is the Christian life to be lived? Oh, oh, glad you asked. Two things, faith and the Spirit. No law. I don't need the law. Burn it up as far as my sanctification. Because when I love, like Christ said, I fulfill the law. I don't need law when I love. Who is the law made for? First Timothy chapter 1, glad you asked that. Made for the lawless. If you're lawless, you need the law. I'm not lawless. I'm in law to Christ. He's my new law. Love. Love. And how, how am I to live the Christian life? Faith and spirit enablement. Who gets the spirit in the Christian life? Ah, now, and now notice how we turned that into a merit system. We got certain folks that said, as I grew up with, you get the spirit if you give up this, give up that, give up that, certain holiness requirements. And so we had different formulas for getting the spirit. Wait, it's a gift, but, but they still smoke. That was a biggie when I grew up. If you smoke, God couldn't put the spirit in a smokestack. Man, you don't have it together. You mean God can put the Spirit in somebody still drinks? Yeah. Yeah, but well, they, they, they haven't got their act together. You've got to get your act together before you get the Spirit. No, you get the Spirit by faith as a free gift. It's not because of anything you gave up. But the holiness people turned it into a merit system. Oh, oh, you want power? You got to talk in tongues. Well, how can I do it? Well, I don't know, but seek it. I sought it. Do you talk in tongues? I've been trying. My wife thinks I'm talking in tongues. <laughs> and, and you're on a seek again. I'm seeking. I'm trying to. I, I never quite get it because you got to cough up. you got to jump some hoops to get it. And God said the hoop that was jumped was when you received Christ. I can give you everything of heaven when you receive my son just by faith. I'll give you every good thing I've got. A spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit. I'll lead you, guide you with your cigarettes, with your drinking problem. I'll get you there. You don't get a merit system to get him. He comes on and he starts the cleaning up act. It's his work to clean me up. It's not my work to clean myself up with his help. So you see people coming to church and they immediately start feeling the merit system. They know, many of them will say, well, I know I believed in Christ, I'm saved, but, you know, I, re I received him one night, but I, I'm sure struggling in the Christian life because I'm not giving enough, and uh, I'm not doing this enough, and I'm not doing that enough. Now, do I think you ought to give? Sure. Do I think you ought to quit some bad habits? Yeah. 
But once again, the danger is we move to another merit system. We just can't believe it's by grace. We just don't believe it. We've got to earn it. Some law. We've got to make a law. We've got to make some hoops. It says, what did Christ die to give us? Some more anxiety over being good enough to get his blessing? Or was it saying, I've heard good news. I, who have no merit, have just been given the greatest gift in all the universe, and I did nothing to deserve it. Right. Now, we've got to ask, is that the atmosphere and the message we're getting out as we talk among each other? Or is this the church where you've got to have enough merit for God to bless you? You've got to be good enough for God to bless you. You see all the subtle nuances that even you as a Christian can start working off of a merit system. I, I, I feel guilty. All, I, I meet Christians all the time. I feel guilty all the time. I'm not worthy. Wait, 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 wait. What does your worthiness have to do with it? Well, I, I, I'm just trash and I, I'm nothing. You are an insulting what God did for you at the cross. The greatest compliment God ever could pay to your existence is to pay such a price as he paid at the cross. You got to quit feeling worthless. Who established your worth? And when you walk in the marketplace and God said, when I walk out, my son will be on a tree and you will have your chains cut off. I thank God set a pretty high value because he's a great redeemer. He paid far more than I really think we're worth, but he set the price. Well, uh, our present sins are judged by the work of Christ. And if you ever read Jerry Bridges, Jerry Bridges says he's saved every day by the gospel. Every day. And he'll take 1 John 1 where... Uh, I don't know if you ever show up in prayer and say, God, I'm dirty. Uh, I've sinned in thought, deed. I feel soiled. Uh, I'm not, I haven't been walking in the light. I've been walking in pornography. Uh, I've been, uh, I'm more full of the world than you. And the guilt and the shame, loss of fellowship. Then you come to him. Uh, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, has in the past cleansed me from all my sin. Does it look like that? Does cleanse look like a past tense or a present? You mean the blood of Christ is constantly cleansing you? Well, I got clean once. I, I put faith in Christ 20 years ago. You mean to tell me you don't think you're dirty? You, you picked up some dirt along the way? If we say that we have no sin, I got saved. I don't sin. You're deceived. And the truth is not in you. To be saved and deny that you have sin is to be self-deceived. If we confess our sins, and you say, well, I would, but I don't know of any I do. Well, you're the elder brother. You've got the worst kind. It's called pride. It's self-righteousness. It's the worst thing. It's the kind of attitude that says, I don't need Christ. The cross was a waste because I didn't need it. And those will populate hell the most. We always look at somebody killing or doing bad, but it just it kills us to see the self-righteous miss heaven. Why would... How could God let the self-righteous go to heaven and insult him by saying, I didn't need your son? And that's what they say. But he said, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. If we say that we've not sinned in the past, we're making him a liar and his word's not in us. So what is he saying? It I need to be saved daily by the gospel. And what is that saving? I need cleansing, deliverance from my sins that are ongoing because I've got a sin principle in there that I feel soiled by it even if I haven't done an outward act 
of wrong, just having a sin principle in me, a rebellious nature that any moment wants to launch into action. I need continual cleansing. And what is that? The gospel. Without merit, totally of grace, totally based on the cross work, I'm being freed from sin. I'm not always groveling. I'm not always guilty. I'm not always under the load of shame. But did you sin today? I did. And you know what I did? I confessed it. And within five minutes, I felt scrubbed clean, felt whole before God, and just smiling because he kept his word. He cleansed me. That's gospel. That's gospel. We're not weighted down. We're cleansed constantly. How's that? Does that sound like gospel? Do you think a young person could live a Christian life based on this principle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I would have known this. I would have been a giant in the Lord. Uh, you become an adult son in the Lord. You're not a little child under rules. And he says that. So, legalism. What do you understand legalism to be? What did everybody hear? Merit. Rules. Do you think we have any at Valley? Everywhere. Give me an example. Okay. Let's think of what's. Get, let's get some examples. Bob. Okay. 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 And the others. Right. And, and we have the wonderful gift of keeping you guilty. It feels so good, especially when I've read it. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't know if that would be, it could be legalistic. Um, that, that's a tough one because uh, a lot of, of theology goes behind that. It's kind of the lust issue. I want to keep my mind on God, and I can't have some poor little woman in there. She just puts me into a lust fever, you know. There's all kinds of cultural things that go in there that aren't necessarily legalism, but are strictness. Uh, a big one, if you grew up uh, in the era I did, uh, we always made the rules for the women. Dress code, makeup, uh, oh, we, there was none for the men, but it's all for the women. Keep them in the right, right place. And of course, shows, this entertainment, it, it, it covers so many things. Uh, I grew up, people have sinned on a TV, you know, and uh, it's, I'm almost there. It practically is. It's so stupid. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, you, you make these in-house lists beyond God. Uh, here's a good one. I always love it. Mose Rosen. Uh, and when I'd go to lunch with him, uh, lunch would come. He said, Father, we thank you for this food uh, and just bless it. And, and I said, well, when are you going to? Bow your head. He said, who said we had to bow our head? He said, you know, Brother Howard, he always said, Brother, Brother Howard, God's made enough rules. Don't you make any more. <laughs> but church is good at manufacturing these lists, and we do it. You're not, don't, don't kid me. We all do it. We judge people by it. Dress. Oh, you can do that. Mm. Uh, and, of course, I grew up a totally uh, abstained from all alcohol, uh, both parents had alcoholic fathers and a lot of, uh, seen all of it they wanted. They didn't even need a Bible to not have alcohol in the home. They'd seen their fathers drunk enough. Okay, well, there's Mark and different ones that tie you back. I mean, I've gone to the mission field that's serving us all, you know, wine. There's nothing to it. But you got people, oh, that's wrong. Well, biblically it's not. Biblically it's not. There's no Bible against drinking wine. There's Bible against hard liquor. Proverbs says that. But, okay, ooh, it, here's our problem. We say, I just know they don't love him like I do. How could they? They can. If I can't do it, I'm mad at everyone that can. See? It's all over the place. And, and our young people feel it. And so they got every person in the church that's got a few years on them, they've got a different set of expectation rules. And it becomes legalism, and it kills church life. And it really kills young people. And that's why they break away from ch older churches and start all over. You can at least breathe. You don't even hear. They'll wind up making their set of rules, like every group. 
every group. Well, um, but then you've got the other group, the irreligious among us, licensed. Since there's nothing right or wrong and everything is relativism, uh, you get a group in the church, uh, mainly the irreligious, not saved. Uh, they just come. They, I don't know how long they'll be with us. Anything goes because they really don't know God anyway. But they're having more fun not knowing God than we legalists are having because we're making a rule for everything. So if we can get some of the pagans joy for the right thing, it'd be great. And we just don't need, we need to be under gospel. And gospel creates a grace environment in which it says, all the merit you need, you now have. It's the merit of Christ received by faith. Just relax. Enjoy your God. Is it, does that make sense? Have I lied to you? Have I said anything that's unbiblical? If you think that, say it in the question and answer area. Have the ushers take you out. <laughs> um, then uh, going down here, uh, we've got churches full of people depending on good works for their acceptance. You'll even get good people in church saying, I just hope I make it to heaven. Have you ever been in a church where people are talking, I hope I make it? Yeah, very common. Not sure. You can never really know. Yeah. You can't know, can you? Well, you? well, you can't know if it's based on your merit. You can know if it's based on his merit. Look at all the Roman Catholics that don't think they're going to make it unless they get last rites. I've got to get some last merit put to my charge to get me over. Because there hasn't been enough merit put to my account by the crossword I need the last rites of a priest. Anathema. The treasury of merit of the saints. That's what they call it. That the real saints have developed this treasury in heaven of merit that the Pope and priest can dispense to you at the time of death. But it's the merit of maybe uh, Mother Teresa or those who've been sainted. Because you can't get enough merit just by believing in Christ. That's why I love Roman Catholic people, but their gospel is anathema. Because it's Christ plus seven sacraments. Christ-centered, gospel-centered, uh, accepted by God. Uh, focus is on what Christ has done. That ought to be the buzz talk around here. What Jesus has done, not what's wrong with all of us, because we're all imperfect. Right? right? I mean, and the nitpicking that can, I was just talking to the Lees today, we're glad they're back, uh, is that murmuring killed nearly two million people in the wilderness, and it kills churches. You get to griping and picking things apart. He said in Galatians 5, beware lest you devour one another. Just murmuring, picking, 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 picking. And, and it's usually they quit being gospel-centered. See, we were so gospel-centered Hear me, we can meet in a dirty, filthy dance hall called Holy Ghost Hall, and it didn't keep God from working. Because we could care less about the building. We were there for the message. We had the gospel, and it could set you free. And the more merit you think you can cough up, well, God, we got to have this and that. And we can almost, the gospel is secondary. Nice buildings are primary. Oh, Bands are primary. Music is primary. Ethnicity is primary. We'll, we'll put up some, when is the gospel primary? No wonder God's not saving like we would like him to do. If you're talking about everything and you get more hype for a Super Bowl than you can a gospel meeting, is it any wonder God is saving in Brazil more than he's saving here? They desperately need God. And the gospel sounds like good news. Well, uh, what is on display in a local church? A people purchased by God. A people forgiven by God. A people indwelt and filled with the Spirit. A place for grace to be displayed in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, and fallen families. Sounds depressing, doesn't it? But that's where we are. 
fallen people, fallen world, fallen bodies, family trees. We don't want to know about your family tree. We think it's as messed up as ours. Don't tell me. Church is God's grace reconstruction program. Take people out of the ruin of sin and build a temple to the God who redeems us. Finally, gospel should be shared with all people. Not a merit system. That's more work for them. Good news is it's all been done. It's all been done. Our brother's meeting with an 80-year-old guy in his 80s that's interested in the gospel. Just think if he saw this guy and said, well, let me tell you the things you've got to do to get good enough to go to heaven. One of the guys said, I don't have enough energy to do all that. Too bad. We don't have any good news. You've got to be energetic. No, no, this gospel. I, I uh, think of a man. Uh, what was the man we bought the property from? Uh, the gas station owner? Salmon. Salmon. Uh, you know, we bought, we used to be in the real estate business in this church. We bought property every time we could because it was going. We wanted to get it. And there was a man there by the name of Salmon. We bought three and a half acres over on Pinion Avenue. And uh, while doing this property negotiation, we got acquainted with the owner of it. A Mr. Salmon owned a, uh, a gas station in Pinal, a nice man. Well, I got to witnessing to him and sharing the gospel during the time of knowing them. And during that time, he comes down with Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, as time went on, we, we backed out of that property deal. wasn't enough property. One day, uh, Mrs. Salmon gives me a call and uh, says, uh, my husband is fading. He wants to talk to you. Uh, could you come and pay a visit? And so uh, I take Frank Griffith with me. Way back, Frank was on staff with me. And I said, let's go see this man. And I go there. And the Lute Gehrig's disease has uh, gone so far that he cannot even lift a hand. Uh, he cannot move his neck. He can only talk with his eyes, as it were. He just. And so I went over the gospel again with him. I'd shared it before. And I said, Mr. Salmon, it looks like eternity is near for you. Let me go through the gospel once again. I, I would love for you to receive Christ. I want you to go to heaven. So I went through it. I went through the cross, and I went through the gospel. And, and all of a sudden, uh, tears are running down. Tears, and his nose is just dripping and dripping. And I, I asked him, I said, Mr. Salmon, would you like a Savior? That's all he did. He couldn't talk. Couldn't. The wife said, that's yes. And I had to tell Frank, daub his nose. He can't even pick up a Kleenex. So Frank is daubing his nose. And a guy that couldn't even raise his hand just got eternal life. Never gave an offering. Never will attend church one day. From that bed, he died the next day, went right to heaven, just like a thief. On a cross. Would you like to carry this kind of gospel? Half the stuff the church folks are talking about is nothing but BS to me. It's not even fit for the barnyard. It's just manure. But this gospel has taken men to the ends of the earth to tell people, your tribe has died too long and gone to hell. I've come to tell you the greatest news. You don't have to offer your boy on an altar. You don't have to kill your girl. The offering's been made. You just got to receive Jesus, and God will give you eternal life, and you can go to heaven as of today. Why can't we get on fire about sharing that good news? Can we not be excited about that? Is it true? If it's not true, someone call me a liar and prove it with a Bible verse. If that is true, what are we fussing about? All the other stuff in church life that we fuss about, and we have put the gospel in the basement, and it ought to be center. It ought to be what we're about. And you go tell people that I believe in shame, you tell them, no, sir. I started this church in a hall to preach grace. 
I grew up with Pentecostals that I love because they're kin folks. They're going to heaven. But I didn't hear as much grace as I wanted to preach myself. So I started a church to preach this gospel, this grace, and people told me they will be loose. There's no standards. You're not putting them under enough rules. You're not telling them to cut their hair. You're not telling them. God did a marvelous job without all your rules. He changed them. He saved them. When I get with the Fernandes boys, you know what they often do? I, Steve and John, while back, I was with them. They both said, Pastor, we want to thank you. Thank you that you never put us under one rule. Because if you had tried, we would have rebelled and got out of there as soon as we... We were sick of rules. We were sick of the establishment. But the gospel broke our heart. We wanted the gospel. We didn't want a bunch of man-made rules. Gospel, greatest hope message going. Uh, are we a gospel church? Ask questions. We'll take um, 10 minutes if you got them. If you don't, I've got something else to do. No, oh, no, I've got some other thing on the agenda. I'm not walking out. I'm going out. No. Man, that sounded terrible. i got other things to do. Get with it. Now you know why I'm going to the hospital. Bad attitude. Any questions? Anything theologically deep? I mean, just any question. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Since you had a minute, that's it. Was there a question? No. No, I didn't see it. I don't recognize that hand. Um, is that keep? But stay here, Kev, Kevin. Come here. Bring that mic. Uh, I, um, I'm going to start tonight. I think I'm willing to have no more than four people. We ought to have everybody in the building get up. I want two men, two women. Are you going to do this? This is what you're going to do. You get no more than two and a half minutes, and then we're going to say, sit down, out of order. And just tell me this. Uh, has he brought you from shame to grace? And just tell us, is this church shaming you are reminding you of the grace of God. And if it's shaming you, you tell the congregation because we're going to repent. I want no shaming in this church. We're dealing with fallen people and they don't need to be shamed because all the shame was born at the cross. We stand with all of our sins and horrid background in the merits of another. We ought to celebrate that that's what made this church grow. We didn't know anything about church growth. We still don't. The only thing that God's ever blessed around here is the gospel, the grace of God. Kevin, come over here. I want uh, an Italian boy to start it. We figured he'd be the baddest guy in the place. If they're Italian, they're bad. No, no, come here. Come, Mark, come up here. You got him, Mark. Thank, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes uh, to stress about before coming up here. <laughs> Tell them where you're from. Um, I'm from, um, uh, I'm an Italian from New York, East Coast, born and raised. And um, my father took me out of the East Coast when I was a kid because he saw the uh, lust and desires that I had for uh, um, the family lifestyle that, that my cousins and uncles and grandfather were living. And so my father moved me away from that um, to the East Coast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My family kept that from me. They told us that we were good Italians. At least my grandfather did. I found out later in life the true stories of uh, the background, but I really lost it after that. I liked the macho-type men. and uh, My father was a kind man and a really nice man. I just thought that was wimpy. and I, I still have a hard time with men hugging and uh, a lot of the people in the church. I always have to avoid Sean and David and a few of the other guys <laughs> who try to hug me. You, know? <laughs> so, you might as well know. <laughs> <laughs> my wife always says that uh, she, uh, she found the most insensitive man she could possibly find and then married him <laughs> so anyways I, I, I then grew up in Europe uh, we went to Europe to live and I grew up there and came back to America and didn't know what to do with my life so I joined the military in the military I ran across a lot of Christians who found me drunk on the, on the, on the ground most of the time would pick me up bring me back to my room and leave a track those Christian little chick tracks. 
you know, I, I'd wake up to that in the morning with a hangover in the track. You know, because I grew up um, Catholic, uh, I was full of guilt. And I once remember hearing, uh, actually, I once remember saying this in church uh, to myself. I was about 12 years old. And I remember saying, I was thanking God because I was a, I was a Catholic, because I was going to heaven. It was guaranteed if you were a Catholic. I don't know if all Catholics feel that way, but, uh, but that's what I thought. So um, reading the chick track, it got me scared of hell. Uh, and I sat, I sat there, uh, you know, got on my knees and, um, and repented that night and said, God, I don't want to go to hell. And I immediately told all these Christian friends, and they got rid of the pornography on my walls and put up Amy Grant pictures instead. <laughs> I'm going I'm to tell Amy Grant that someday. <laughs> and gave me a wife who loves Amy Grant. <laughs> I did know. But I, I, I cleaned up my life. I buttoned up the shirt, and I, um, I cleaned up my life. Um, I was in a, in a, in a, in a in, well, I cleaned up my life, um, and that, that was the real key. I cleaned up my life because what happened later was uh, seven de uh, demons, uh, more wicked, uh, came in my life and uh, led me down a path that I'm not going to um, tell you about. Uh, some people who are close to me know, but it's, it's unimportant. I can't stand those testimonies about how wicked I was. We all were wicked. I, uh, you, know, you know, I was a sinner. That's all that's um, important to know. And God was gracious and, and uh, patient with me. Um, he, he changed me in a, in a lot of different ways. Outwardly, maybe it's hard to tell. Um, I knew how to play church. I was a Catholic. We knew how to act real pious and self-righteous on Sundays. Um, but what God did was really change the inside uh, and cleaned up, the, uh, cleaned up the wickedness. And God started to change in my life and uh, uh, gave me a wife, um, you know, who I, I uh, gave me a wife that I don't deserve. Uh, a man like me and uh, a man with my past that doesn't deserve something like that. He uh, continually kills me with kindness. Um, I'm a man of a lot of pride and, and um, um, you know, she constantly uh, put down her pride um, to, and lo loved me and, and showed kindness to me and broke um, the wickedness and uh, uh, the darkness. I was very dark inside. I had no feeling at all. Um, the profession that I chose left me, left me dead. Boy, it's hard to talk with uh, you know, dry mouth. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's a, uh, <laughs> will she cootie? Uh, I know all the drugs you're taking. <laughs> Much better. Thank you, Pastor. Wow. <laughs> no wonder you're forgetting stuff. But it, it, there was a lot of blackness in me, you know. I had no feeling. It was just blackness. And Megan, through her kindness, God brought, kept breaking through that and breaking through that. What I told the pastor was once, um, how she did that is she just loved me. Uh, when I was wrong, and I constantly caused a lot of problems in the marriage, she would come to me and say, I'm, she's sorry. She's sorry. It was me that constantly should have said it, and I never did. I was raised, you don't say you're sorry. You know, your best friend's your wallet, and you take care of yourself and your family, and that's it. And she just did this over the years, and it, and it broke us. It broke me, it's, and, and it makes me want to be a better man uh, for her. I want to be a godly man. When my son was born, it took it to a whole other level. God really um, saw in me, uh, change, put a change in me that I wanted to be uh, a man serious for God. I wanted to serve him and love him. I wanted to reflect Christ in my life to my wife. I wanted to be a priest to the family. And no more goofing around, watching TV and wasting my time and my life. And being just a silly, weak Christian. You know, I'm just so sick of that in my life. It disgusts me. And all the years I wasted, I could have served God. I wasted being selfish. And I wasted doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, so it, it's, uh, I just I want to serve him. I want my son to see a godly man. A man not ashamed of the gospel anymore. A man willing to talk about Christ and willing to love his wife. Instead of being so macho that, I, you know, I have to be the tough guy all the time. Um, but that's what God's done in my life. And now what I'm trying to do and what he's working on in me right now through the sanctification process is to keep, his eyes on, keep my eyes on him. I saw that in my son one day. I said to my son, Kenzo, you, you, you can trust me. I love you. I, look at me, son. I love you. Why would you think I'm going to do anything wrong to hurt you? And all of a sudden I heard God's voice in my head saying, what do you think I'm trying to do to you? Keep your eyes on me. Quit looking to the left and the right. There's wickedness out there. It's emptiness, people. It's empty. 
There's nothing in there. The women, the drugs, the fun, the partying, the toys, it's empty. Look at Christ. Serve him and love him because all he wants to do is take care of us and love us and draw him, us to himself. He wants to bring us back to the day of Adam and Eve when he can have a relationship with us again and walk with us and just take care of us. Amen. He's a good God. I was a shameful man, and he's a good God. He's an awesome God. Is there a sister here that would tell us what the gospel's done for you? The gospel. Has it moved you from shame to grace? Come. Come, Ruth. Ruth is always telling me what a terrible sinner she is. Can you imagine? I just... I, I just can't imagine, but that's her confession. <laughs> Deep secret. <laughs> well, I came to Christ because I felt so terrible about myself. I was doing wrong things my mother had taught me not to do, and I wasn't telling her. Um, and we had, I had met Elton, and we were going to First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley. This is a long time ago. I was young. And the pastor said, if you want to know more about this, Jesus, come on down in front afterward. I have a few people who will meet with you. Well, I turned to Elton and said, I, I want to do that. And he said, I do too. So we went down, and a young man met with him, and a young woman met with me. And we met a few times, and she was giving me Bible verses to learn. And then finally, a little class started, so we joined this little class doing ambassador stuff. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, we had to memorize three verses a week from the gospel and the, uh, the address of each, you know, where we find it in the Bible. And we had to read a certain chapter or so each week and pray every day and then fill out the pages on this little booklet. Well, I was doing it. I was memorizing these verses, the fact of sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and uh, the wages of sin is death, and these sort of things. And I was praying, and I could see my prayers just kind of float halfway up to the ceiling in my apartment. I didn't know a thing about prayer. I didn't know anything about God, but he was working on me. And one day in church, the pastor said, it's like this. You feel sick, so you go to the doctor. He runs a bunch of tests, and then you come into his office and sit you down. He said, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but there's something inside you that's working, and it's going to kill you. There's something that's going to eat you up and kill you. However, if you want to, I can do surgery, open you up, and cut that thing out, stitch you up, and you'll live. It's your choice. And I got it because I'd memorized those verses. God was willing to do this for me. Not only was he able, I knew he was able because I'd memorized those verses from scripture. But he was willing to do this for me. I felt so horrible about who I was and what I'd done that I knew was wrong. And you can't, you can't, Throw that away. It's in you. Once you've done the wrong things, you've made the wrong choices, they're there like a poison inside. Right that minute, I know where I was sitting in that church. Right that minute, I did business with the Lord. And he took it. He took it. That's what you're talking about. I was free of that guilt. He had done it. He had died for me. I went out that day in Berkeley. It was a lovely, dismal autumn day, like Berkeley is, cloudy. But I, it was wonderful. It was gloriously sunshine, because I was clean inside. And do you know, that, that cleanness is still here. I still make wrong choices. I'm 85. It's about time I didn't do it, but I do. I, I make wrong choices. It's funny when you're hearing about it, but it's not funny when you make the wrong choices and, and have that dirty inside. But what he did that day on the cross is good for my present dirtiness. And tomorrow's and the next week's and all that. Till 
maybe he'll get me so clean it doesn't happen anymore. When, when I enter heaven. <laughs> Anyhow, if you have never trusted him to do this for you, I encourage you to do it. It only takes a second of knowing what he did and what he's willing to do for you. And he knows you by name. He knows everything about you. That's what I'm teaching my Sunday school kids. He knows everything, and he loves you. That is amazing. So join the club. It's free. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> well, let's, can you take two more? Can you stand it? Sure, yeah, I can take this all night. Uh, let's have a, a man come and tell us uh, where he brought you from. And uh, do, do you leave, leave the shame and the sin and find grace? Yes, sir. Come on up here. You got to come up here. We don't trust those back row testimonies. Tell them who you are, okay? Hello, my name is uh, Walter Anderson, and I've been in church for a long time. Um, I come from um, Detroit, Michigan. I came up as a gangster back there, drug dealer, drug user. But God brought me out here in California, and I started going to church out here. And I had a real close friend. He was a pastor. And I got caught up in sin. I failed, and I failed hard. It cost me five years in prison. And they kicked me out the church. They said that they didn't have no use for someone like me. And these were supposed to be my brothers. Told me I couldn't minister there anymore told me that God didn't want me. These are supposed to be Christians. And I came and I was lost. I didn't want to go to church no more. Me and my family moved from Oakland. We came, I moved them all the way to Vallejo. And we stopped going to church. But I loved God and I, and I knew that something was wrong there and I wanted to go back, but I just couldn't because the shame and the guilt was just so, I mean, it would eat me up. I mean, it, I would just lay at night and just cry and just walk the streets. I, I went back to using drugs again. I wanted to drink, but drinking wasn't my thing. I was going to go back out into the streets, but my wife saw me one day and she said, honey, don't do it. I said, look, babe, but what did God want with someone like me? She said, no, don't do it. So anyway, I sit there, and God moved on my heart. And I remember in prison, I started listening to John MacArthur. I didn't like, no offense, I didn't like white preachers or nothing like that. I was. I was one of those came up in the Pentecostal, you know, we ran around the church, you know, and, you know, they didn't teach me nothing about grace, but I remember one day I finally wanted to come back to church. I remember calling John MacArthur's church and say, do you know a church that teach like you? Because it just, God had moved on me in prison to start listening to Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll. They didn't have no gospel music up there, so I had to listen to the man. Brother White preachers, you know, <laughs> that, that come and just talk to you. I was used to the hooping and the hollering and the jumping around. But anyway, God touched my heart, and I never remember looking. And I think Ted Montoya used to be here, and his name came up. And I said, wow, did someone like this went to, Val I mean, went to um, the Masters you know, Master's College, I'm gonna go and check them out. I never remember, I came and I sit right back there in the back and pastor was teaching on Romans. And I said, wow, I never heard Romans taught like this. And I love the book of Romans and it touched my heart. But what I wanna get to is this. I wanted to do something in the church and I couldn't. And I cried. I mean, I just, 
I wanted to work in the church at this certain place, and I couldn't do it. But I never remember what they told me that this man did. He said, if a man want to cry to work in this church, I got to meet him. Pastor Phil has been loving me and received me, and he knows everything about what happened. And he's been loving me and has received me and showing me what it means to be loved. This church has loved me like I have never been loved before. And I just had to let you know, Pastor, you know, you, you, man, you changed my life. You got me back on track again because I was giving up. I was going back into the world, start shooting dope, acting crazy, doing all those things. But y'all showed me what grace is all about. You know, you showed me what grace was all about here. I never seen a church with so many different cultures and, you know, you know, not denominations, but so many different people. Big Dave and all you guys just love on me. Took me into Timothy class, and I'm loving it. And I want to just tell you, I had to come and I had, I've been wanting to come and tell you, churches, I've been coming here that, Pastor, you the man. And I love you. I love you. And I love this church because you have helped me to get back on track again. And this is grace. I can tell you about it. This is grace. This is grace. You got to get excited about this because this church is about grace. And I love it. And thank you, Pastor. And thank everybody here for allowing me. Thank you, Thank Pastor. you, Walter. Oh, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you, man. Don't you dare use the word shame here tonight. We'll stone you. I went, we got a sister, some sister. That'll be four of you. It's your sister that was to come. Thank you, Walter. Wow. Wow, come on, sister. Isn't it something that a white preacher got to Walter? I, I ain't going to forget that, Walter. It would take me longer than two minutes to say everything I have to say about the Lord and how he brought me, how he brought me here today. Um, I'm from Chicago. My name is Jamila. And um, when I left Chicago, I was a Muslim. I came to California. That was over 22 years ago. And um, what the Lord did for me is that um, he gave me a job at the post office, and I was a mail carrier, and there was a, I was delivering my mail one day, and, and there was a Bible on, the, um, on one of my routes, and I felt urged to pick it up. I picked up the Bible. I started to read it. I sat in a relay box, a green relay box, and I just sat in that box and read that box, and I know it was the Holy Spirit that led me to do that. And after I read it, I went to the gospel, I went to John, the chapter, the book of John, and I read it, and I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know I needed to be saved. I didn't know I was in sin. I didn't know any of that, because I wasn't taught or raised that way. And so what happened was that um, at my job, the Lord sent uh, a male guy to me and he asked me, I was talking about Jehovah Witness because I had, they had came to my door and I started uh, listening to their, reading their books and um, having studies with them and things like that. And, but anyway, it led, I did that for three years and they, they were telling me it was time for me to become a Jehovah Witness. And the guy at my job, he pulled me over and, and I was talking about the kingdom of God and he said, are you saved? And I, I didn't know what that meant. And I said, saved. And he said, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And I didn't know what that meant. And so it, it bothered me because I didn't know that. And I wanted to know because I'm very curious about things, things that I don't know. I want to know. And so um, I guess he prayed for me and people prayed for me. And um, another girl took me to a church and people started praying for me. And all I know is that the Lord led me to a church in Richmond, Renewed Hope. And when I heard the pastor speak for the first time, he started talking about the blood Jesus shed for me and that he died for my sins. And I had read all this in the book, but I did, still didn't understand what I was reading. And so my heart was really pricked, and I just knew for the first time in my life he was real. And 
it's really hateful for me. I was in darkness. I was in sin. I was doing everything in the world, and I didn't realize for the first time that I was a sinner. And I thank him. That was over 20-some years ago. But he put me in a church to teach me who he was. Then I learned who he was, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do with what I knew. And so I just kept seeking, and eventually my pastor died, and that's why I'm here today. But he passed on. 20 years I was with that man, just listening to the gospel, and he preached just like you. And so when I came in here, God led me here because I lived in Hercules. I saw the three crosses. I came here, and I heard you speak. And when I heard you, Pastor, I knew I was in the right place. And so what I did was I just kept praying to God about it. And what he did with me, he, he changed my life because I was in sin. I was with a man over three years ago. I haven't been there since. And since I came here, I've been out of sin. And I thank God for that because I would have still been living in sin. But I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. I'm saved today. And he's changing my life every day. And what I'm doing now, I had to speak with my children today because I'm learning more and more every day. I sat with my children. I gave them Bible studies in, in, at, at home tonight. And it meant so much to me because what I'm learning here, and I told them about this church, I said, well, you have got to be doing something. You just can't be coming to church. You've got to be doing something. And you have to do it on your own. You know, you, It can't be me, but it has to be you doing something for the Lord. I just thank the, I just thank him for what he's doing in my life, but he saved me because I wasn't, you know, I didn't know him. And I just, I just thank you guys for, yeah, he came looking for me and he, and he found me and, um, and I'm grateful. I'm very grateful. <laughs> Welcome, hon. Let's have our brothers come and let's serve the Lord's supper and the singers would come. You see why we think everybody ought to come on Sunday night? Not to torture, but we get to have a body life, and you get to hear these life stories. And uh, I, I want you four, when we uh, take communion after a while, Mark, and you don't have to join us up front because you guys became celebrities tonight. And I want to shake your hand, hug your neck. 